You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Twelve Rites of Passage by Paula Graves, also known as Anne Haynes. Chapter 12, Retreat. University Hospital, Baltimore, Maryland, 2.42 a.m. The room was dark and quiet, lit only by a small lamp on the bedside cabinet. In the bed, Samantha Mulder slept, her pale, thin face relaxed in slumber. Her brother kept watch beside her, his tear-reddened eyes fixed on her face, searching, studying, memorizing. Dana Scully watched him from a chair in the corner of the small private room, searching, studying, and memorizing as well. She had never thought to see this day, and now that it had come, she wanted to preserve it somehow, capture this moment for eternity. It was not often a person achieved his heart's desire. Her eyes were damp with tears as well, shed in a maelstrom of relief and joy and sheer nerves. She had managed to hold herself together through the ride behind the ambulance that carried Samantha here to University Hospital. She'd been a rock for Mulder, who had begun to slowly unravel the moment he'd heard his sister call his name. She'd been the one who filled out the admittance forms, who provided the insurance information with a quick phone call to Ann Milliken. Scully had also called Skinner and her own mother, knowing that with all the threads of this case that were yet to be untangled, she'd need all the help she could get. Her mother had agreed to stop by her apartment and bring a change of clothes so that Scully could get rid of the surgical scrubs she'd borrowed from the hospital when she had showered to rid herself of the smell of smoke. Skinner had dispatched a hand-chosen team of arson investigators to the Baltimore warehouse site. Scully suspected it would be an exercise in futility. The fire had been set with the express purpose of leaving no evidence to be found. The door to the hospital room opened, and Scully's mother entered, carrying a small athletic bag. Her forehead was crinkled with a worried frown, but Scully noticed that she straightened her face immediately when Mulder looked up at her. Margaret smiled at Mulder, setting the bag on an empty chair and crossing to his side. Mulder rose and slipped his arm around Margaret's shoulder, accepting her affectionate hug. Pretty amazing, huh? He murmured, looking down at his sister. How is she? Margaret glanced at Scully, questions in her eyes. Scully smiled her reassurance. Tired and a bit dehydrated, but the doctors say she should be okay. They ran a battery of tests on her when she first came in, so if there's anything else wrong with her, we should know soon. Mulder glanced over his shoulder, meeting Scully's gaze. If it weren't for your daughter, Mrs. Scully. Margaret met her daughter's eyes, her gaze filled with love. Tears pricked the back of Scully's eyes, and she managed a trembling smile. I brought a change of clothes, Dana, but first there's an agent outside who needs to speak to you. Something about the expression in her mother's eyes made Scully's stomach quiver. She rose and crossed the room, pausing briefly to run her hand comfortingly down Mulder's back before she left the room in search of the agent. 
A slim, petite young woman with chestnut brown hair turned away from the nurse's desk. Face on, she looked a bit younger than Scully had expected. Mid-twenties, she guessed, although a dusting of freckles and a minimum of makeup subtracted a few years. Intelligent blue-gray eyes met Scully's from behind a pair of oval-framed glasses. Her neat suit, complete with oversized jacket, screamed FBI. She smiled at Scully and extended her hand. Agent Scully, I am Agent Jean Francis. Assistant Director Skinner dispatched me to your apartment after your mother's phone call. Scully's forehead wrinkled in confusion. After Mom's call? Agent Scully, when your mother entered your apartment this morning, she found the place ransacked. I'm afraid someone broke into your apartment and conducted a thorough search of the premises while you were out. We can't tell that anything was stolen, but Scully knew better. The printouts of Bill Mulder's disc had been in her apartment. She would bet a year's salary that they were no longer there. I assume you're dusting the place for prints? Also an exercise in futility, Scully knew, but procedures had to be followed. Of course, A.D. Skinner, ah, here he is now. Agent Francis looked down the corridor behind Scully. Scully turned to greet the assistant director. I assume Agent Francis filled you in on the situation at your apartment? Skinner put his hands on his hips, towering over Scully and Agent Francis. Scully sometimes wondered if he realized how intimidating his bulk could be. She supposed he did. He'd been a Marine, after all. Yes, sir. I went by Mulder's place on a hunch. It has been trashed, too. Scully closed her eyes and sighed. No surprise there, she supposed. Let me guess. The place was turned upside down, but nothing seems to have been taken. Skinner glanced at Agent Francis, his jaw muscle working with tension. Agent Francis apparently got the hint. She reddened slightly and discreetly moved away, heading down the hall toward the waiting area. Skinner cupped Scully's elbow and drew her away from the nurse's desk. What are they looking for? No doubt what they found, a file that Agent Mulder's father compiled shortly before his death. What kind of file? We're not sure. I had a copy, Agent Mulder had a copy, and there's a copy at the office in Mulder's safe. Not anymore. I had someone check Agent Mulder's office. He said the place had been tossed as well, and Agent Mulder's safe is missing. Scully looked up at him, wondering if he could possibly be joking. The whole safe? Apparently so. What was in that file, Agent Scully? A mystery, she murmured. Briefly, she told him as much about what they had found as she could remember. We hadn't made much headway into the information contained on the disc when I discovered that Sarah Chandler was really Samantha Mulder. Skinner bent his head toward her, lowering his voice. Are you sure it's her? Yes, sir. Scully glanced over her shoulder at the door of Samantha's hospital room. At least as sure as I can be until the DNA tests come back. Would you like to look in on her? I'm sure Agent Mulder would be glad. Skinner shook his head. I've got to get back to the office and light a fire under some folks. Find out how in a place as secure as the FBI building, someone managed to ransack your office and steal a 50-pound safe without being noticed. 
She didn't bother reminding him that people often made good money by not noticing things they were supposed to notice. She assumed he knew that as well as she did. Well, at least we should still have a copy of the disc. Mulder made a copy for Agent Pendrell. Uh, Skinner's grimace made her stomach flip-flop. What is it, sir? Agent Pendrell and Agent Hollis of Psycrime were involved in a carjacking a couple hours ago. My God, they were roughed up. They're both being held overnight at Northeast Georgetown for observation. Will they be okay? Skinner nodded, his expression grim. Yeah, looks like it. I checked on them before I came here. Both of them took a crack on the head, and Pendrell's got a hell of a shiner. But he's a lot more upset that whoever jacked them got away with Agent Mulder's disc. Scully shook her head, too tired to work herself into the fine rage she wanted to indulge in. They always win. Even when they lose, they win. Skinner looked over her shoulder toward the door to Samantha Mulder's room. Somehow, I don't think Agent Mulder would agree with you right now. Scully slumped against the wall. You're probably right. Skinner met her weary gaze, his eyes dark with concern. How are you holding up, Scully? From what I hear, tonight wasn't a cakewalk for you either. She managed a half-smile. Too tired to know what to feel, sir. He patted her arm. Why don't you let your mother drive you home? Get some rest. I doubt Agent Mulder will even miss you. Scully looked down at the faux granite floor of the hospital corridor, blinking back tears. She suspected Skinner was right. I'll consider it, sir. Pass along my congratulations to Agent Mulder and forget about coming to the office for the next couple of days. Call it administrative leave with pay. He squeezed her arm lightly and turned on his heel, heading down the corridor. Scully watched him go out of inertia, not moving, until he turned the corner toward the waiting room where Agent Francis had made her retreat. She pushed away from the wall and went back to Samantha's room. She found her mother seated next to Mulder, her hand gently stroking his back the way she'd always soothed her own children. Scully smiled at the sight, her heart swelling with gratitude for the loving childhood she'd enjoyed. So very different from Mulder's. Mulder looked up as she approached the bed, his face a riot of emotion. He was out of control, but it was a good kind of chaos, a storm of feelings he'd spent the past 24 years sublimating. He had to feel every one of them now, the good and the bad, and that was okay. He held out his hand toward her as she approached, and she almost faltered, surprised by the open gesture of affection. She took his hand in hers, let him draw her near. He released her fingers and slipped his arm around her waist in an easy half-embrace. And it was all wrong. Where was the hesitation, the tension, the questions of propriety and professionalism and prudence? His effortless touch unnerved her. Something was missing. Her mother pushed back her chair and rose. Scully could tell by the look on her mother's face that she too recognized that something was amiss. Margaret met Scully's gaze with a small, reassuring smile. Dana, I'm going to go get some coffee for Fox and me. Would you like a cup too? Scully nodded. Thanks. 
She waited until her mother had left the room before she gently moved away from Mulder's grasp and sat in the chair her mother had vacated. Mulder smiled at her briefly, then turned his attention back to the woman sleeping in the bed in front of them. I can't believe this is real. After that other time, that other woman? He shook his head, words failing him. Mulder, I have to tell you something. Scully put her hand on his arm. He didn't seem to feel the touch. Mulder, all of the evidence is missing. Someone broke into our apartments and into the office. He didn't even blink. Mulder, did you hear me? Someone tossed our office and took the safe, the whole safe. He glanced at her. Pendrell has a copy of the disc. She shook her head. Not anymore. She told him about the carjacking. They're okay, but their assailants took the disc. Mulder looked at her blankly. Nothing crossed his face. Not anger or frustration or even hurt. He just stared. You don't care, do you? She asked, realization dawning. His gaze never wavered. The truth? No, I don't care. Not right now. She tried not to gape. Maybe in a few days, Scully, or in a few weeks. But right now, I don't care. It doesn't matter. He turned his head away and resumed his vigil over his sister. She looked away quickly as rage fired through her. You bastard, she thought blinking back angry tears. I spent the last six years of my life putting my neck on the line for you and your obsessions, and now you turn your back on me and my questions the second you get what you want? But as quickly as her anger rose, it subsided, supplanted by bone-deep weariness. She slumped in her chair and looked at him, watching the constant play of emotions across his normally neutral face. Of course he didn't care. Right now, he didn't have room left for anything but Samantha. Eventually, he'd recover his equilibrium and they could get back to their quest. Surely he couldn't walk away while there were still so many questions to answer. Could he? University Hospital, Baltimore, Maryland, 8.12 a.m. Despite the late hour, the hospital room remained dark the morning sunlight blocked by heavy curtains over the window. Beside the bed, Fox Mulder felt himself beginning to nod off, finally coming down from his adrenaline and caffeine high. Scully and her mother had left about an hour earlier, at his insistence. Scully was dead on her feet, but too loyal to abandon him easily. He appreciated her concern for him, but there was really nothing she could do here beyond sharing his vigil. There were no more mysteries to solve, no dragons to slay. It was over. He suspected he'd have fallen asleep much earlier if he could have brought himself to stop staring at his sleeping sister. He was afraid if he looked away for a moment, when he looked back, she'd be gone again. He wondered how long it would be before he stopped feeling that way. Probably never. Samantha stirred, a slight frown creasing her wide forehead. She shifted in the bed for a few seconds. Then her eyes fluttered open. Blinking away sleep, she turned her head to look at him. Her eyes widened slightly, and a smile of recognition spread over her pale face. Hi. He clasped her hand between his own. Morning. What time is it? 
He glanced at his watch. Quarter after eight. You got a good night's sleep. How are you feeling? She quirked one eyebrow. Better than you look. He grinned. Thanks a lot. Did you stay here all night? Except when they ran me out to take your blood and vitals. She glanced at the bruises darkening her inner arm. Damned bloodsuckers. Mulder chuckled. The doctor's supposed to drop by around nine to tell us when you can get out of here. Soon, I hope. A shadow passed over her face. I feel trapped. He squeezed her hand. How much do you remember, Sam, Sarah? He frowned slightly, not knowing what to call her. Samantha is fine, she said with a strange little smile. That's my real name, isn't it? He nodded. Looks that way. She searched his face as if looking for something familiar. You didn't turn out like I expected. He quirked his eyebrows. What did you expect? I don't know. Not so old. Her smile faded. Fox, I don't really remember anything but bits and pieces. Nothing really solid except for an overwhelming sense of threat. Do you remember meeting with Carter Christopher? Who? Mulder described the older man. Recognition dawned in her eyes. He said his name was Robert Bowman and that he'd been part of Dr. Chamberlain's psychology study. I met him for lunch at Garnham's and I walked with him out to the back where he'd parked his car. She frowned. I don't remember anything after that. The man you know as Bowman and I know as Christopher is a member of an international consortium that has been instrumental in covering up evidence of the existence of extraterrestrial life. Mulder steeled himself, waiting for her response. He knew how crazy and paranoid he sounded when he said those kinds of things. She quirked one dark eyebrow, reminding him for all the world of Scully. Heat crept up his neck at the suspicion that she was mentally fitting him for a straitjacket. And you think I was abducted and held captive in that warehouse for the purpose of... He shrugged. I never said I had all the answers. She gripped his hand. I don't need all the answers, but I do need some. How did you find me? Scully was really the one who found you. Samantha smiled again. I barely got to talk to her last night. Did she leave? He nodded. She was practically sleepwalking, so I talked her into going home and getting some rest. Tell me everything. Why did you start looking for me? I never stopped looking for you, he said. Not for 24 long years. Not until just a couple of days ago, because I knew you were out there waiting for me to come get you. A strange expression crossed her face, and she looked away from him, studying the ivy needle in the back of her hand. I really meant, how did you know about Sarah Chandler? From Dana? He reddened, realizing his declaration of devotion to her had only made her feel uncomfortable. Releasing her hand, he started at the beginning, telling her about Scully's unofficial investigation and how it had turned official after Lee McGraw's murder. We knew then that you weren't just a free spirit who'd taken off on a whim. Scully was afraid for you, and that was all it took for her to go into pit bull mode. Samantha chuckled at his choice of words. I won't tell her you said that. He laughed, glad that a little of the tension between them had begun to pass. Please don't. 
So how did you figure out who I really was? Scully saw a picture of you, one taken just after you were released from the hospital in Charleston. You were a little older, but the resemblance between Sarah Chandler and my little sister was too striking to dismiss. So Dana saw my parents and saw the Chandlers. This time, Samantha was the one who faltered. God, I feel like I'm two different people. In a way, she was. One woman who had lived two separate lives. If you'd feel more comfortable, I don't mind calling you Sarah. She shook her head. No, I've spent the past couple of years trying to find out who I really am. Sarah Chandler is a lie, even if it's a happy lie. Tears surprised him, stinging his eyes. And you were happy? She met his wary gaze. Yes, I was happy. Mom and Dad, the Chandlers, they were great folks. They loved me and took very good care of me. I was so much luckier than I might have been. She really had no idea how true that statement was, he thought, remembering his own bleak, painful youth in that cold, angry house of cards. He reached out and took her hand again. I'm glad, Samantha. I'm so glad. She met his gaze. What about our parents, Fox? Have you told them yet? He looked down at their twined fingers. She had adored their father as much as he'd seemed to love her. He dreaded having to tell her about his death. Fox? He met the question in her eyes. Samantha, Dad died three years ago. But Mom's still alive. She's living in Connecticut now. I wanted to wait until you were awake before I called her. Tears pooled in Samantha's eyes. Daddy's dead? He squeezed her hand, his own tears spilling. I'm sorry, Samantha. I know this must be hard for you. It's just strange. I know it's been years since I saw any of you, and I've lived another life since then, but... She lifted her other hand to her face, brushing away tears. It's like I remember everything as if it were yesterday, Fox. It's like I'm still eight years old and we're still fighting over what television show to watch. And yet here you are, a grown man. I know you, but I don't know you at all. He nodded, understanding, even though her words felt like a knife in his heart. It's felt just like yesterday for 24 years, Samantha. But I look at you now. Her lower lip trembled. Poor Fox, were you expecting me to be eight years old forever? I guess so. He couldn't help but remember the little clones he'd seen in Canada, the girls with his sister's big eyes and dark hair. That had been what he'd expected to find when he found his sister, hadn't it? Certainly not this grown-up woman. Doesn't matter now. Of course it matters. She tugged his hand, making him look her in the eye. I'm sorry. I can't imagine how it must have been for you, Mom and Dad. He had so much to tell her, and so much of it bad. It could wait until she was stronger, until he was stronger. Northeast Georgetown Medical Center, 8.25 a.m. Scully stopped by Northeast Georgetown Medical Center as soon as she got back to D.C., she used her credentials to get room information on Annel Hollis and Alan Pendrell. Pendrell's room was closer, so she stopped there first. He was sitting cross-legged on the bed watching television when she walked in. His left eye was swollen almost shut, 
the skin around it a deep shade of purple. He looked greatly relieved when Scully entered the room, until he realized he was clad only in a hospital gown that probably didn't close all the way in the back. She stifled a weary smile and pulled up a chair. Just can't leave you alone for a minute, huh, Pendrell? His coloring was quickly escalating to bright pink. What happened to you and Agent Mulder? Did you find the pink warehouse? She nodded. Better than that, we found Mulder's sister. Pendrell's one good eye widened. You're kidding, for real? Yep. She slumped in the chair, the last of her energy seeping away. I always assumed she was dead. So did I, Scully admitted. I wanted to believe she might still be alive, but deep down I think I was convinced it simply wasn't possible. And now you feel guilty. She looked up at him, surprised by the understanding she saw in his eyes. Yes, I suppose I do. I feel like I failed Mulder because I couldn't believe. Maybe it was enough that you wanted to. She arched her eyebrows. That's what Mulder said. So listen to him. Her lips curved in a little smile. I usually get just the opposite advice. You look beat, Dana. You should be home in bed. She slouched deeper into the chair. She was beat. She felt like one big bruise. Trying to get rid of me? No, of course not. His smile was wry, self-deprecating. Maybe I could nap right here in this comfy chair. She didn't think she was kidding. The chair was comfortable, and she was so tired. Would it really hurt to take a quick nap? She remembered nothing else until she awoke some time later. Welcome back to the world, Agent Scully. And now Hollis' low drawl greeted her as her eyes fluttered open. Hollis was sitting on the edge of Pendrell's bed, her bare feet tucked up under her. Pendrell, Scully noted, had changed from the hospital gown to his street clothes, just as Anel apparently had. Except for the nasty shiner Pendrell sported, they both looked considerably fresher than she felt. She stretched, noting that the light pouring through the window was no longer morning light. She glanced at her bare wrist and realized she'd lost her watch somewhere along the way. What time is it? About a quarter till noon. Scully rubbed her eyes, trying to push away the lingering effects of sleep. You should have awakened me. I was going to, but Alan wouldn't let me. And now arched her eyebrows slightly. The doctor came by while you were sleeping. We're getting sprung. All we have to do is wait for the paperwork. Don't suppose we could bum a ride with you, since Agent Mulder has my car, and Alan's was stolen last night? Scully stretched her aching muscles. Of course. She stood and crossed to the window, glancing through the curtains at the street below. The day was in full swing, lunchtime traffic thick. The bright midday sunlight hurt her eyes, and she turned back toward Pendrell and Hollis, reaching into her jacket for her cellular phone. It was out of service. She guessed the beating it had taken during the explosion had finally taken its toll on the poor piece of plastic and circuitry. She'd been amazed it was still functioning when Mulder gave it to her at the hospital the night before, considering. She pocketed the phone and crossed toward Pendrell's bed. May I use your phone? Pendrell waved toward the phone on the bedside cabinet. Scully dialed Mulder's cell number. After three rings, she was informed that the customer was unavailable. Maybe Samantha's room at University Hospital was situated in a dead pocket. 
Using her phone card, she called Samantha's room directly. After several rings, she was transferred to the front desk. I'm trying to reach Sam, um, Sarah Chandler in room 628. After a pause, the operator said, Miss Chandler checked out of the hospital about 30 minutes ago, ma'am. Skelly's eyebrows rose. Checked out? Surprise quickly gave way to anxiety. Someone had tried to kill Samantha last night. Had someone tried again? Taken her? Left Mulder hurt or, or worse? She tried to calm herself, but she'd seen too much, lost too much in the last few years. She couldn't help but contemplate the worst-case scenario because all too often these days, the worst thing that could happen did happen to her and Mulder. She hung up and dialed one more number. Eleanor, it's Dana Scully. Is he in? In a moment, she was greeted with a growl. Skinner. Sir, it's Scully. Have you heard from Agent Mulder? Just an hour ago, he said he'd been trying to reach you, but your cell phone wasn't working. He also tried your home phone, but your answering machine wasn't picking up. Probably got messed up when the place was being tossed. What did he say, sir? He's taking his sister up to his mother's place in Connecticut. Asked for six weeks of personal leave. Six weeks? She sat on the edge of Pendrell's bed, stunned. It was a reasonable request under this circumstance, Agent Scully. But six weeks? Without saying a word to her? Without even saying goodbye? Yes, sir, she murmured into the phone. Thank you. She replaced the receiver in its cradle, her whole body going numb. Six weeks. What's wrong, Dana? Pendrell put his hand on her arm. She moved away from him, realizing that she couldn't bear his touch. It was the wrong hand, the wrong man. The right man was on his way to Connecticut and the rest of his life, leaving her behind with little thought and no warning. She took a deep breath and straightened her expression, drawing on years of experience and hiding her emotions. Nothing, just caught by surprise by something. So how soon before your release comes through? With impeccable timing, Two orderlies entered the hospital room, pushing wheelchairs. Pendrell groaned, and Anel rolled her eyes, but they were used to having to follow rules, being employees of the federal government. Scully went on ahead of them to fetch the car and pick them up at the front door of the hospital. Having Pendrell and Hollis to deal with helped Scully defer her thoughts of Mulder, but as soon as she deposited them at their respective apartments, her doubts and fears crept in on her and she found herself heading away from her apartment. Her mother's eyebrows rose slightly as she opened the door to Scully's knock. Dana, what is it? I, she realized she didn't know what to say. She entered her mother's house silently, heading instinctively for the kitchen table, her safe place. Margaret took a teapot from the counter and poured tea for both of them without a word. She set a cup in front of Scully and sat across from her. What's happened, Dana? Samantha was released from the hospital. So soon? Scully nodded. Mulder took her to Greenwich to see their mom. Margaret smiled. Mrs. Mulder will be beside herself. Scully nodded again, tears pricking her eyes. I wanted to see that, she realized. I wanted to see Samantha reunited with her mother. For six years, she'd had a tremendous stake in the fate of Samantha Mulder. She'd sacrificed so much to Mulder's quest, sometimes willingly and sometimes not. 
Sharing in his happiness and that of his family should have been her reward. Instead, she was being left behind, ditched again. And damn it, it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. It hurt. What aren't you telling me, Dana? Her mother put her hand over Scully's. He took six weeks personal leave. Margaret's eyebrows twitched slightly. It's a good idea. Scully nodded. Yes, I know. But? But he didn't say goodbye. She looked away from her mother, embarrassed by the admission. She was a grown woman, and God knew she'd put up with a lot worse from him over the years. Logically, she knew that Mulder was right to take this time and reconnect with his family. But a part of her also recognized that she was no longer the most important person in his life. Tears spilled down her cheeks, and she met her mother's gentle gaze. Everything's changing for Mulder and me, Mom, and I don't know how to make it stop. Greenwich, Connecticut, February 19, 1998, 8.43 p.m. Fox Mulder glanced at his watch, almost nine, and he still hadn't been able to reach Scully. In the whirlwind of activity since this morning, he'd not had time to feel frustrated, but now he'd been trying every number he had for her since around 6 p.m. with no luck, and he was starting to worry. Did she even know he was gone? Surely he couldn't imagine that she wouldn't have tried to reach him by now. Probably had talked to Skinner and found out that way, but he still wanted to talk to her. He looked out the window at the darkness, realizing that the last time he'd been here, Scully had been with him. Had it really been only a few days ago? A lifetime had seemed to pass in the interim. Fox? He turned from the window to meet his sister's curious gaze. You and Mom catching up? Yeah, she's making hot chocolate. Want some? Trying to recapture the old times, he thought. Sure. He reached out, intending to slip his arm around her shoulders, but she pulled back. He dropped his arm to his side quickly. I'm sorry. She shook her head, tears sparkling in her eyes. No, I'm sorry, Fox. I'm sorry. I just... It's all so strange. I know. Nothing was turning out like he thought it would. God, had he ever really expected to find her? He was so unprepared for the reality. He didn't know what to say to her, when or if to touch her. The preliminary DNA tests had relieved any doubts about her identity. She was Samantha Mulder, not a clone, not an imposter. He saw his mother in her face, his father in her eyes. He saw flashes of the smart, irritating eight-year-old he'd lost so many years ago. But she was a full-grown woman now, a person apart from him or his mother or their frozen memories. She was his sister, but she was a stranger. Did you get Dana? Samantha asked as they crossed the living room toward the kitchen. No, her cell phone got banged up in the explosion, and her answering machine at home isn't picking up. So she doesn't know we're gone? I'm sure she's talked to Skinner by now, so she knows. He frowned slightly as he followed her into the kitchen. Surely Scully would understand why he'd needed to do this. She'd been there for him the other times he'd been close to finding his sister. She knew his heart. She'd understand. His cell phone rang as his mother handed him a mug of steaming chocolate milk. He set the mug on the table in front of him and grabbed his phone. Scully? Good guess. 
Her voice, low and slightly dry, greeted him. Listen, I'm sorry for bugging out without getting in touch with you. Not your fault. I'm phone challenged at the moment, she said. I've finally gotten my home phone working now, but the cell phone is a total loss. I've put in a request for a new one from communications. So you're at your mom's now? Yeah, having hot chocolate. He tried to chuckle, but there was something in her voice that made him uneasy. On the surface, she sounded like herself, but there was a dark undertone, a hint of unease in her words. Look, I know I should have tried harder to get you. Don't worry about it, Mulder. You did what you had to do. I know that. There was something wrong. He could feel it vibrating through the phone line. Scully, I just wanted to call to make sure you got there safely, that's all. I don't want to keep you. I guess you and Samantha and your mom have a bit of catching up to do. Yeah, we do. I'll see you when you get back. Scully, wait. He glanced at his mother and sister, conscious of their interest in the phone call. He felt trapped between them and Scully, wanting to do the right thing for everyone, but not sure how. There were things he should have said to Scully before now, things that shouldn't wait another minute, but somehow he couldn't bring himself to express the things he wanted to say to her in front of an audience. And he couldn't turn his back on his mother and Samantha right now, not even for Scully. It could wait. It would have to wait. I'll call you tomorrow and we'll talk more, okay? I'm taking tomorrow off. Mom and I are going to drive to Norfolk to visit some old friends this weekend. I'll be back in the office on Monday. We can catch up then, okay? Okay. He was about to say something, anything, to prolong the contact, but a soft click signaled that she'd already hung up the phone. Slowly, he pocketed the cell phone and turned to Samantha and his mother. Finally got Scully. Samantha nodded and smiled, but his mother looked concerned. She knew enough about him and Scully to know that something was wrong. But she waited until Samantha pleaded weariness and went to bed before she said anything to him. Was Dana upset that you left without telling her? No, she understood. Then what was it? I don't know. He dropped onto the sofa, stretching his legs out in front of him. I'm not sure, but something isn't right. It's a strange time, Fox, for all of us. He looked up at her, noted the lines of weariness creasing her soft face. Even happy occasions took a toll, and he and his mother had been through too much in the past few years to trust happiness. It was too damned fleeting. I don't know what I was expecting, what I thought she'd be like. After that other woman, his mother's eyes darkened with pain. I'm still afraid to believe it's her. All the evidence indicates that she's Samantha, Mom. Somebody went to a lot of trouble to make sure we never found her. Somebody? He couldn't say what he was thinking. There was a part of her past she refused to think about, and in truth, it was something he didn't want to face either. So he sat in silence, and she sat in silence, and time tit inexorably away as they both avoided the truth. But he knew they were thinking of the same person, the same lies. Norfolk, Virginia, February 20th, 1996, 1234 p.m. So it's set, Saturday, August 28th, 2 p.m. in the Siemens Chapel in Portsmouth. Lorna Youngs took another sip of her margarita. Scully jotted the date and time in her pocket calendar. Got it. 
You're not going to make me wear pink or anything, are you? Lorna chuckled. Oh, die first, kiddo. Skelly laughed. Yeah, because I'd shoot you. Got it all figured out now. Benton Crane returned from a quick trip to the men's room and took his seat between his fiancée and Margaret Skelly. Just about. Lorna gave him a long-suffering look before nudging Skelly. He thinks we should just get married at the Justice of the Peace and skip the ceremony. Have you ever heard anything so unromantic? Skelly shrugged. I don't know. I can see wanting to skip the rigmarole and getting down to the business of being together for the rest of your lives. A little twinge of longing curled around her insides. One day separation, and she was already missing Mulder like hell. She didn't want to think about what the next six weeks would be like. So, Benton said, leaning towards Skelly, you never finished telling us what happened after you and Mulder found his sister. That was about it. Scully glanced at her mother, who met her eyes with tender concern. She sighed softly, wishing she didn't feel like a fragile flower everyone was tiptoeing around. Skinner had been so solicitous it was scary. He'd wanted her to take the next week off instead of just Friday. And her mother was studiously avoiding the topic of Mulder, despite the fact that she was obviously thrilled for his good news. Scully was thrilled too, ecstatic. She'd watched him tear himself apart for years, risking life, reputation, sanity, all for the fragile hope of finding his sister. This was a magnificent, unexpected reward for her loyalty, to be part of finding Samantha, of bringing her back to her family, to her brother. If she also had to step back, take a secondary role in Mulder's life as a result, then she'd have to learn how to do that. He'd never made promises to her. She'd known from the beginning where his priorities lay. His tunnel vision now came as no surprise. Then again, it didn't have to be a surprise to hurt like hell. So he and his sister are with their mom now? Benton asked. Scully nodded. He's taking six weeks personal leave. Lorna's eyebrows rose. That long? Not so long a time when you consider he hasn't seen her in almost a quarter century. Margaret defended. I suppose. Lorna looked pointedly at Scully. So what are you going to do now that Mulder's run off again? Scully picked at her salad with her fork, tamping down a sense of irritation. Work goes on. She speared a mushroom. And he'll be back. Even now that he's found what he's looking for? There are still questions we haven't answered. But whose questions are they, Lorna pressed, yours or his? Scully put down her fork. She met Lorna's direct gaze. Both. Finding Samantha wasn't his only goal, Lorna, but right now he needs time to focus on her, and that's fine with me. When he gets back, we'll regroup and we'll go on from there. Lorna nodded as if she'd expected exactly that answer. Okay, I'm convinced. Scully stared at her for a moment, then released the roiling tension inside and managed to grin. Smooth, Dune. Well, I figured you were too stubborn to listen to my advice. Maybe you listened to your own. Scully realized that she did feel better. Mulder's decision to take time off was no reflection on their relationship. He wasn't trying to get away from her. He was simply trying to get to know his sister he hadn't seen since she was an eight-year-old child. When he came back, things would be better. 
Siemens Chapel, Portsmouth, Virginia, August 28, 1998, 1.32 p.m. Six months later, Scully was still having to tell herself that things would get better. Mulder's six weeks of personal leave had passed with agonizing slowness. He had called almost every day, but their conversations were brief and often cryptic, as if Samantha or his mother were listening in the background. The few times they'd talked freely, the conversation was almost always about Samantha and the difficulties he was having in reconnecting with her. Samantha had spent over 20 years as another person and her internal schism was taking a toll on her. Mulder was at a loss to deal with her mood swings. Some days she was free and affectionate, other times she was guarded and standoffish. He was terrified of saying the wrong words, doing something to drive her away from him and his mother. He'd been a basket case when Samantha had flown to Charleston alone to see her adoptive parents. He'd called Scully twice, sometimes three times a day, mostly for reassurance, she supposed. His mother seemed to be sharing his angst, and the pressure of being strong for Caroline while dealing with his own fears and doubts was hard on him. More than once, Scully had considered catching the next flight to Connecticut to hold his hand, but she couldn't spend the rest of her life mothering him. That was a decision she'd come to during their six-week separation. She would listen and sympathize and advise, but the only person who could fix Mulder was Mulder. He had to face his demons alone, and she had to have enough faith in him to believe he could do it. After all, he was almost back to normal on the work front, he had actually started making intuitive leaps again, spouting those wild theories that drove her crazy, and it wasn't like they'd ever spent all that much of their off time together anyway. They'd been hearing rumblings about changes in the Bureau infrastructure. It was doubtful anyone would try to tinker with their division, but Skinner was on edge and making life miserable for everyone, particularly poor Mulder. Under the circumstances, it was no wonder Mulder was preoccupied and stressed out emotionally. She couldn't expect to be the center of his attention right now. But secretly, she was heartened by the fact that he had agreed to accompany her to Lorna and Benton's wedding that weekend, even though Samantha was moving to Cambridge, Massachusetts that same weekend. In fine Mulder fashion, he was doing it the hard way, He'd flown to Boston Friday night to meet Samantha and some of her friends to get the moving process started, but he was catching an 11 a.m. flight to Norfolk and should be in Portsmouth in plenty of time for the wedding. She harbored a quiet hope that they might finally be getting back to where they'd been just a few months ago when the possibilities between them had seemed endless. She had resisted the temptation to call him, trusting him to remember all by himself. With a photographic memory, it should be a piece of cake. She kept telling herself that all the way through the processional. His plane was simply late. He'd had trouble renting a car at the airport. Traffic between Norfolk and Portsmouth must be snarled. But by the time Lorna and Benton were declared man and wife, she recognized the truth. Mulder had ditched her again. Cambridge, Massachusetts, August 29th, 1998, 11.53 a.m. The apartment was too small for a moving crew of seven adults, but Samantha had the soul of a drill sergeant and kept things moving. They were making incredible time by Mulder's watch. 
They'd been working for only a couple of hours, and already the moving van was empty, and Samantha had gotten a good start on unpacking boxes. The change in his sister over the past six months was astonishing. When he'd seen her outside that Baltimore warehouse, she'd been thin, pale, and exhausted. But this Samantha sparkled like a jewel, her ready smile and infectious laughter drawing people to her like flies to honey. She'd had no trouble finding people to help her move. Her Yale roommate, Ann Milliken, had made the trip to Boston to help Samantha move, bringing along her boyfriend Larry for extra muscle. Mulder had called Eve Wentworth once he'd arrived in Boston, and she'd offered herself and her new husband David as extra sets of hands. And then there was Preston Powell. A couple of months earlier, Samantha had hooked up with her old high school pal Preston, and now they looked to be quite an item. Preston was a couple of years older than Samantha, a tall, lean, green-eyed Boston tax lawyer who came from a wealthy Charleston family. Five years in Massachusetts hadn't done much to temper his coastal Carolina drawl, and he exuded easy southern charm. He was the kind of man any mother would want her daughter to marry. Mulder hated him. Stop glaring, Fox. Eve Wentworth poked him in his ribs and handed him a glass of water. Glaring? Me? Preston seems like a really nice guy, dishy too, and rich as Croesus. She tugged the sleeve of Mulder's t-shirt and pulled him over to the window away from prying ears. You're trying too hard, you know, he arched one eyebrow. Trying too hard to do what? To be a brother. You think there's some kind of criteria on you have to meet or you'll get thrown out of the Big Brothers Club. It doesn't work that way. You need to relax. Stop trying so damned hard to be indispensable to her. He chuckled, but he wasn't amused. Indispensable? Ha! Huh. Invisible is more like it. Eve arched her eyebrows. What do you expect her to do? Make you the center of her universe? You're just her brother. You'll be lucky if she remembers your birthday every year. I just thought... He frowned, not sure what he had thought would happen once he found her. He only knew that this wasn't it. He hadn't thought he would end up barely peripheral to her life. You thought she'd need you more, didn't you? He met Eve's astute gaze. Yeah. He leaned against the window frame. I was her champion for years, Eve. Everybody else gave up, but I didn't. I believed, and now I feel like... He shook his head. I, I feel superfluous. Are you disappointed in her? God, no. He made a small gesture toward the corner where Samantha was directing Preston and David as they set up a bookcase near the hallway. She's beautiful and smart and a lot more together than I'll ever be. She's great. She's perfect. The Chandlers were obviously wonderful to her. God knows she'd had a better life than I'd ever hoped. So what's the problem? I guess I always expected that when I found her, she'd be broken and I'd have to fix her. And now you find out that you're the one who was broken all along. Eve nibbled her lower lip, her eyes dark with sympathy. Mulder passed his hand over his jaw. He'd forgotten his razor. He'd have to borrow his sister's before he went to the airport. While I was dedicating my life to finding her, she was out living her own life, and she was just fine. I wonder why she even wanted to know the truth about who she really was. Sarah Chandler had a better life than Samantha Mulder ever would have. 
I think it says something that she's decided to go by Samantha Mulder after all those years of Sarah. Eve squeezed his arm. And even if you can't see it, I can see that she thinks you're great. She remembers a 12-year-old boy, Eve. Samantha doesn't even know who I am. At least she cares enough to find out who you really are. I think I make her nervous. You probably scare her, Fox. You had 24 years to make her the focus of your life, and now you seem to expect her to focus her life on you in exchange. That's not true, isn't it? I'm glad that she's happy and whole, Eve. I had terrible nightmares about what she might be like when I finally found her. Unbidden, the image of a sullen young drug addict entered his mind. Poor Lucy Householder, broken beyond repair by what Carl Wade had done to her. Isn't that what he'd expected to find when he finally found his sister? It could have been so much worse. Eve nodded, sympathetic. So why can't you be happy? I am happy. Wrong. You're miserable. Why? He slumped against the window frame. I can't get it right, Eve. Get what right? Any of it. I can't get anything right. I don't know how to handle Samantha or Mom or... Or Scully? Eve held up her left hand. A diamond solitaire and wedding set sparkled on her ring finger. I seem to recall a little pact we made, remember? I kept my end of the deal, but you, my dear, are conspicuously unattached. Things happened. Samantha happened, you mean? He frowned at her. Do you think this is easy for me? I'm trying to do the right thing for everyone. My mother is having trouble adjusting to everything. Samantha doesn't seem to know how to deal with me and Scully. He sighed, raking his fingers through his sweat-dampened hair. Scully's a rock, Eve, but she's different now. Different how? There's space between us. Who put it there? I suppose I did. But when I tried to approach her, she steps back. She's keeping the distance there. Maybe that's because you've let her believe that's what you need. Eve glanced over her shoulder to where her husband and Anne were unpacking a box. When I flew to Boston to accept David's proposal, he thought I was joking. I had to work hard to convince him I was serious. And even then, he tells me, he kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think he really believed that we'd get to Vegas. And as Elvis was asking me to recite the vows, I'd say, Oops, sorry, just kidding. Mulder chuckled at the mental image of his friend, her husband, and an Elvis impersonator in a gaudy Las Vegas wedding chapel. And your point is? My point is, no doubt your scully's been through hell because of you more than once. And maybe, just maybe, she's tired of being the one who always bends over backwards to make things work. God, I'm glad you're my friend, Eve, he said with a wry half-smile. I love you, Fox, but I'm not blind to your faults. She grinned at him. The weird thing is, Scully and Samantha are really close, and they never even see each other. And here I am, juggling my time between the two of them, and all I seem to be able to do is alienate them both. He sighed deeply. You want to hear something really horrible? I haven't even invited Scully along on a single one of my visits to Samantha, even though I know she'd probably like to come along. Know why? Eve frowned as if she had a pretty good suspicion. Why? Because I'm afraid they'd ignore me. They'd go off together and leave me out in the cold because I'm a stupid shit who can't figure out how to please either one of them. He turned toward the window, squinting at the bright sunlight. Isn't that lovely? 
Yep, just lovely. Eve sighed. Well, at least you're making a step in the right direction, going to this wedding with Scully. What time does your plane leave this afternoon? It's this morning at 11.15. Oh, Fox, don't even joke about that. He frowned. I'm not. Eve's eyes widened and her mouth formed an O. What? He glanced at his watch. 9.28. Plenty of time, though he should probably hop in the shower in a minute. Then he realized that the last time he looked at his watch, it had been 9.28, a good 20 minutes ago at least. The second hand wasn't moving. Oh, shit. Honey, it's almost noon. You've missed your flight. Shit, 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 he growled, stripping off his t-shirt as he darted for the bathroom. Eve, he called over his shoulder, please see if there's a flight out of Logan in the next hour. He showered in record time, changing into the suit he'd brought to wear to the wedding. He didn't have a hope of making it to the wedding now, but maybe he could get there in time for the reception. Even David drove him to the airport and dropped him off. The later flight to Norfolk would take just over an hour, assuming everything went well. He could be in Portsmouth by three. He was the last person to board the plane, and he made it by seconds. He dropped into his seat and buckled in, ignoring the stares of his fellow passengers, concentrating instead on what the hell he was going to say to Scully when he got there. Seaman's Reception Hall, Portsmouth, Virginia, 3.05 p.m. The new Mrs. Benton Crane kicked off her cream-colored pumps and sat down next to Scully at one end of the round tables scattered across the reception hall. Her new husband was in the corner talking to Scully's mother and a couple of other women Scully recognized as Navy wives. Lorna glanced toward Benton, her heart shining in her eyes, then turned back to Scully. So, the bastard didn't show. Nope. Scully toyed with the swizzle stick in the club soda and lime she was nursing. His flight made it to Norfolk with no problem, but he wasn't on it. What I can't figure out is why you're not hopping mad about it. What would be the point? You'd feel better. No, I wouldn't. I just feel mad, and I don't really have a right to feel mad at Boulder. Bullshit. Lorna, I know how he is. I'd known him for only two days when he first told me that finding out what happened to his sister was all that mattered to him. I made the choice to join him in that quest with my eyes wide open. He never lied to me. He never misled me. If I got hurt, it's because I set myself up for it. It's not his fault. I think you're making excuses for him. He owes you more than this. I don't want to be an obligation to him, Lorna. Scully took a sip of soda. The carbonation bubbles sparkled in her throat. So what are you going to do now? Ask for a transfer? Scully frowned. No, of course not. You can work with him after this. Lorna, haven't you been listening to me? Scully put down the drink. Nothing has changed. Mulder is still my partner and my friend. I know I can trust him to cover my back. If I really need him, he'll be there. But? But that's it. That's all I can expect from him. It's been enough up to this point, and it'll be enough from here on. So you're telling me you're not in love with him? Scully lifted her chin and met Lorna's gaze. I'm not in love with him. You're such a liar. Scully pressed her lips together, annoyed. I'm not saying I haven't thought about being in love with him. 
but it was a risky idea to begin with. And everything that's happened over the past few months just proves that Mulder and I are meant to be friends, not lovers. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. Scully sighed, exasperated. You're the one who thinks he's a bastard. Why are you trying to convince me I'm madly in love with him? I just want to make sure you're not kidding yourself. My eyes are wide open, Lorna. I'm a big girl and I know what I'm doing. She took another drink of soda, sucking a sliver of ice into her mouth. She crunched the ice, repeating her last statement silently to herself. I know what I'm doing. Lorna's gaze shifted, her eyes narrowing. Good thing, because here comes trouble. Scully turned in her chair, following Lorna's gaze toward the doorway of the reception hall. Her stomach flipped and sank. Mulder had finally arrived. The reception hall bore the telltale signs of a party that was almost over. Half-empty cups of punch, champagne flutes and napkins crumpled on plates, adorned half the small round tables that filled the room, while the crowd dispersed into conversational clusters along the periphery. Scully and Lorna were at a table across the reception hall, both seated and looking his way. Heat flushed his neck and face as he crossed the room toward them. He steeled himself with every step, knowing that Scully was going to be angry. He was in for one of two things, depending on her mood, a subtle but deadly tongue lashing or a far more worrisome deep freeze. He was hoping for the tongue lashing. He got neither. She merely arched one eyebrow at him. Her friend Lorna didn't let the moment pass, however. Well, if it isn't Mr. Punctuality. I suppose this isn't a good time to ask to kiss the bride. Lorna chuckled, but her eyes were dark with irritation. She shifted in her chair, sliding her feet into a pair of satin pumps and rose. I wouldn't depend on catching the garter either, big guy. She glanced at Scully as if to make sure that she didn't mind being left alone with him, then crossed the room to where Benton was talking to Margaret Scully and a couple of older women. Mulder sat in the chair that Lorna vacated. I'm really sorry. Forgot the time? He frowned slightly, not sure if she was angry or not. Frankly, he'd prefer outright anger. At least he could deal with that. The seeming indifference, however, made his stomach hurt. Not exactly. Watch stopped. She nodded. I'm guessing Lucky has never been your nickname. Not in the past few years. I'm really sorry. She looked him over with the critical eye of a scientist. Actually, I'm kind of glad you didn't make it for the wedding. You look like crap. He ran his hand over his stubble jaw. He hadn't had time to borrow that razor. I knew I should have worn the nose ring. It's just not the complete look without it. He glanced at her, noting the glow of her pale skin against the glossy sapphire silk of her attendance gown. Her small gold cross glimmered, drawing his eyes to the soft swell of her breasts. He so seldom got to see her like this, her hair pulled up and framing her face in soft tendrils, her slender body for once not camouflaged by oversized jackets hiding a bulky gun and holster. He kicked himself for not keeping better track of the time. 
You should have just called when you missed the flight, Mulder. No need to fly all the way here just to apologize. She took a sip from her cup, taking a small piece of ice into her mouth. She pursed her lips slightly, sucking on the ice. Unexpectedly, heat raced over his body, turning his skin to fire and his bones to jelly. He mentally flailed around for a reply. I figured it was the least I owed you. Wrong answer, he realized immediately as her blue eyes narrowed, her look of irritation dousing his earlier heat. All you owe me is trust and loyalty, Mulder, not breakneck flights to Virginia to get in on the end of a wedding reception. Her words prodded him in his sore spot. What are you trying to suggest, Scully, that my priorities are screwed up? I didn't say that. You didn't have to. She sighed. You're trying too hard, Mulder. You have this pathological need to take responsibility for the happiness of the people you love. But all you're doing is making yourself and everyone else crazy. I can't just ignore Samantha and Mom. Scully put her hand on his arm, leaning in. She pinned him with her gaze. I never asked you to. He stared at her, understanding dawning. She was right. She'd never asked him to put her first. He felt torn between Scully and his family because he'd put himself in that position. He was the one who'd begun to make Scully the focus of his life in the first place. Primacy was something she obviously neither needed nor wanted. She probably never had. With a rush of pain, he realized it was time to let go. He leaned back in his chair, overwhelmed by the realization that he was closing a door in his life that had once held so much promise. Something inside him writhed in anguish. Could he really go back to how it was before, friends and partners, but nothing more? But it never was like that before, he recognized with dawning surprise. Even from the very beginning, there had always been the tantalizing possibility of something more between them. The moment he'd turned around in his office to see her there, not just a photograph in a personnel file, but a living, breathing woman with intelligent eyes and a quirky half-smile, he'd realized that his plan to hate her and drive her away wasn't going to be easy as he thought. He knew now that hating her was impossible. Driving her away was unthinkable. If he was destined to forever and only be her friend, he'd be the best friend she ever had. And it would be enough. It had to be enough because he couldn't bear to lose her. And if he continued to cling to this crazy hope for something more between them, he'd drive her away. Hell, it was already happening. Scully let go of his arm and sat back. How's the move going? He swallowed the lump in his throat, much more quickly than I thought it would. Guess you don't need an extra hand? No. He shook his head quickly before temptation had time to take root and pasted on a smart-ass grin. You're a bit overdressed. You need a ride back to the airport? I'll call a cab. I don't mind. I've already been enough trouble for one day, Scully. I'll just go say hi to your mom and go. I'll see you in the office on Monday. Friday, Mulder, remember? My brother's ship is docking tomorrow and mom and I are staying in Norfolk through Thursday. Yeah, right. 
Mulder squelched a sigh. God, when had they gotten so out of sync with each other? He remembered a time when they could practically finish each other's thoughts, and now he couldn't even remember something as simple and rare as Scully's vacation days. He couldn't understand why he should feel such a sense of isolation now that he'd made this decision about their relationship. Scully wasn't going anywhere, after all. She was still his best friend, his right hand, the one who covered his ass and bound his wounds. She didn't have to be his lover to be his other half. Nothing really had to change. It would all work out. Come next Friday, he promised himself, everything would be back to normal. FBI Headquarters, September 1st, 1998, 7.36 a.m. Scully beat Mulder to the office the next Friday, determined to get a head start on the rest of her life. During her week off, she'd had time to grow accustomed to her decision about Mulder. What was really going to change, after all? They weren't lovers. He didn't owe her anything but the loyalty, trust, and friendship that went along with being partners and friends. And she knew she had that without reservation. It would be okay. It would be like it used to be, only without the torment of wondering what to do about each other. It would probably be even better than before, she assured herself. She stirred creamer in her coffee and carried the mug to her desk, beginning to sort through the paperwork Mulder had left on her desk for her signature. He'd been a busy boy, she realized with a slight smile, noting that he'd taken better than usual care with the forms. No coffee cup rings, no grease spots, no sunflower seed shells trapped between the pages. She was actually in reasonably good spirits by the time he came in around eight. Nice job with the paperwork, Mulder. Have you been dipping into the secretarial pool again? He made a face and sat behind his slightly cluttered desk, grabbing the letter opener lying on the blotter. He fiddled with it, leaning back in his chair. So, did you bring pictures? She arched her eyebrows. Pictures? of your brother and you at the same time with a newspaper showing the week's date. She sighed, biting back a chuckle. How ridiculous that the man who believed in extraterrestrials were walking the planet had such trouble believing that she actually had two brothers. Sorry, I'll handle that the next time Charlie or Bill is in port. Sure you will. He actually flashed a grin. This could work, she thought, managing a bit of a smile herself. Things between her and Mulder were already looser today than they'd been in weeks, months even. Any new cases come across your desk while I was gone? Nothing interesting. I helped Fuller in VCS with a couple of things. Bet he loved that, Mulder chuckled. You know I'm his favorite per- The phone trilled, interrupting him. He grabbed it. Mulder? He listened for a moment, his brow furrowing. Okay, we'll be right there. What is it? Scully rose and met him halfway to the door. Skinner wants to see us. What have we done now? I don't know, but Eleanor said not to dawdle. Scully glanced at him. Not to dawdle? She sounded kind of tense. Eleanor? Tense? Skinner's newest assistant was one of the most friendly, easygoing people Scully had ever known. Unlike her predecessors, Eleanor killed with kindness, using her motherly charm to keep even the most determined agent from storming Skinner's office uninvited. Mulder was putty in her hands, and Eleanor knew it. 
She also had a soft spot for the quirky agent, which had earned her a soft spot with Scully. Skinner's office was on the fourth floor. By habit, Scully sniffed the air as Eleanor ushered them through the door. No smoke, but what she found inside the office was disturbing enough. Skinner was not alone at the narrow table by the wall. FBI Director Thomas Shea sat at the end of the table, rising as they entered. He held out his hand to Scully politely, but his expression was cool and distant. She shook his hand and stepped aside to allow Mulder to do the same. Please have a seat, Agent Scully, Agent Mulder. Skinner waved toward two chairs sitting side by side at the table. Scully did as she was asked, shooting a glance at Mulder. His hazel eyes met hers, full of questions. Thomas Shea stood at the end of the table, bending forward to plant his hands against the smooth wood. He was a tall, trim man in his mid-fifties, his dark hair thick and turning silver at the temples. He had the reputation as a hard-assed G-man's G-man. It was well known that he had no great love for Mulder's X-Files project, although Scully had no proof that he was allied with Carter Christopher's consortium in any way. Shea cleared his throat briefly before he spoke. Agent Scully, Agent Mulder, I asked Assistant Director Skinner to bring you here this morning in order to inform you of a change taking place in the organizational structure of the Bureau that will directly affect the two of you. Scully's stomach tightened painfully. She glanced at Mulder again and saw his jaw set like stone. Oh God, she thought, surely not. You're shutting us down, aren't you? Mulder spoke through gritted teeth directing his question not at Director Shea, but at Walter Skinner. Skinner's lips pressed into a thin line. Scully read the answer in his dark eyes. May I ask why? Scully turned to Director Shea. The Congressional Subcommittee who oversees the Bureau has deemed that unnecessary projects be cut before September 15th. The X-Files, unfortunately for you, and Agent Scully fell beneath the hatchet. We're reassigning you to new areas. Areas, Mulder repeated, his voice taut. Separate areas, you mean? Your respective specialties are not particularly compatible, Agent Mulder. Agent Scully is considered one of the Bureau's brightest forensic pathologists, and her expertise is greatly needed at the FBI Academy in Quantico. No, Scully thought, her heart sinking. Not back to the academy, not miles away from Mulder again. What about me? Mulder turned to look at Skinner. More wire tapping duty, I suppose. Skinner shook his head. No, Agent Mulder, your work in the field is too valuable to waste. You're being assigned to the Boston field office. Mulder's breath escaped in a little whoosh and Scully bit her lip. Boston? It was worse than she had thought. Boston was hours away, a lifetime away. The Bureau was taking him away from her again. She felt Mulder's eyes on her. She lifted her gaze, girding herself against the burgeoning pain. Mulder's hazel eyes darkened. He dropped his gaze, a tiny muscle working frantically in his jaw. He parted his lips and spoke one terse syllable. When? You're to report to Agent Parmeter, the Boston SAC, Monday morning. 
This Monday? Scully asked, incredulous. The Bureau will, of course, aid you in any way necessary to expedite the move. Director Shea's voice was meant to be soothing, but it was all over Scully's nerves. She darted him an angry look, secretly pleased to see the little spark of surprise that crossed his face when he read her expression. She lifted her chin and addressed him directly. I'm to report to Quantico at the same time? Yes, report to Covington. Scully nodded, remembering Jeff Covington, the Academy Director, from her previous stint at Quantico. She schooled her features, holding back the rage and hurt that was roiling inside her. Argument now would be pointless. Shay would never have broken the news himself if there was any hope of reprieve. It was over. We'd like for you to clear out your offices today. We have plans for the basement space. Shay took a step back and folded his arms over his chest, effectively dismissing them. Scully moved first, pushing herself to her feet. She glanced down at Mulder. He was unmoving, staring at the opposite wall, where a closed door marked the entrance to an anteroom. Wondering if the cancer man is behind this, she thought. She didn't have to wonder. This little maneuver had his nicotine-stained fingerprints all over it. 46th Street, New York City, 8.45 a.m. Nine men sat around the room reading newspapers, wire reports, surveillance reports, awaiting word from their associate in Washington. The phone rang and Anthony, the major domo, answered. He murmured assent and handed the phone to Carter Christopher. Is it done? The low musical voice on the other end of the line spoke with cocksure arrogance. Of course. Carter hung up the phone and turned to his associates. It is as you wish. The others looked pleased. Carter was pleased himself, but his reasoning was a bit different than that of his colleagues. He had his own agenda for their separation, with hoped-for results that would no doubt surprise every other man at this table. He had learned a valuable lesson a long time earlier. Hate was a tool for the ignorant. Love was a tool for the wise. FBI Headquarters, 8.57 a.m. Mulder didn't know what to say to Scully as they slowly walked toward the elevators at the end of the hall. Should he hold out hope? After all, they'd been separated before, and they'd found ways to work together then. But he hadn't been 400 miles away that time. So he remained silent. She remained silent. They walked, silent but together, into the elevator. The doors swished shut behind them. He pushed the button for the basement and turned to face her. He sought for the right words to say, but words seemed inadequate to bridge the inexorably widening expanse of time and space separating them. She looked up at him, her eyes dark with goodbye. He realized that there was nothing else to be said. He looked away, staring at the lighted panel marking their level-by-level -level descent to the basement. Slowly, in final silent concert, they retreated to opposite sides of the elevator. The End
If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.